Thanks. Um, all right, go ahead and find Malachi chapter 1. Our Bibles are split up into two Testaments. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew in the New Testament, flip back a few pages and you'll be in Malachi. So if you don't have an actual Bible, we do have some hard copies. If you need one of those, raise your hand. I'd love to give you one. The Trinity. Here you go. <laughs> anyone else? Chloe, need one? Is there a Bible around anyone that they could snag for Chloe? Cool. Thank you. All right. Malachi chapter 1. Like Erica said, um, today's passage is it's heavy. It's one that has I've been wrestling with since last year. Um, it's a passage that kind of stopped me in my tracks and is one that um, it's not the fact that I want to deliver a message that's really hard just to like, I never want to use scripture to, to beat up someone, okay? So I'm going to like say some things that maybe are going to be straightforward and hard because it's found in God's word, not because I want to be a, a bully in a way. So um, but I do want to just say up front, it's not because Chloe needs it right here. Um, I, I say that to just prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts that this is not something like I want to convey this message with, with grace and love while at the same time, not watering down what's actually said in God's word. And so I think we have something to learn tonight in God's word. And I think God can encounter us in his word. And I believe that anytime we open his word, we have a moment for sanctification that like God can chip away at us. And when, anytime we open up God's word, and I think that he can do that tonight. And so Malachi is probably one that you haven't maybe heard a message in, or if you have, it's probably been a while. A lot of people don't go to Malachi for uh, youth messages, but I I believe in you guys that we can we can go into these hard topics and we can talk about some things and and still walk away with like some application and knowing like my, what my next step is and so um, I want to start off with like a pretend scenario okay let's just say a husband comes home on Valentine's Day brings his wife a gift and it's this bear and on the bear it says best wife ever okay it's a good attempt at a gift. It's Valentine's Day, though. The gift didn't even say, I love you. It just said, best wife ever. The wife is less than thrilled, okay, at this weak offering. It's a bear that's kind of small. You can just tell by the feel of it. It's not really made all that well. It's kind of cheap, probably found it at Walgreens when he's picking up a prescription or something. It'll essentially collect dust. It'll be stowed away. Eventually, it's going to find itself in the trash because it's a garbage bear. Maybe you could argue, well, maybe the husband just isn't a good gift giver. Is there any people here that are like, I'm not a good gift giver, and you know that about yourself? That's okay. It's okay that you know that. Maybe this is the case here. Maybe he just doesn't know how to really show affection, or he doesn't really know what a good gift, and maybe Valentine's Day has a lot of expectation with it, and he really just panicked. Or maybe there's a bigger issue that we need to address. The situation that we're walking to in the book of Malachi is really similar. The book of Malachi is to a group of people who struggle to see God's love for them. They, they have heard the promises of God, but struggle to see it come to pass. 
Okay, so they know in their heads the things of God, the, the doctrine, the things to believe about God, but in their hearts, their hearts have drifted and they're far from him. So when God says, he says this in the first couple verses of Malachi, God says, I have loved you. And the people in Malachi's day were saying, how God, how have you loved us? And maybe you've probably felt that in a way where you're like, how, you know in your head, like, I know God loves me. We hear that all the time if you grow up in church, like, God loves you. And maybe you're really asking too, like, how, God? How have you loved us? Because maybe you look all around you, you look left and right, and you see your world falling apart. You see people betray you. You see circumstances not pan out the way you want them to. And you're probably wondering the same thing. How, God? How have you loved us? Obviously, there's serious issues in their relationship that need to be addressed. And as we might expect, the people's skepticism about the Lord's love for them had spilled over into other areas of their life, including their worship. And because of their doubts about the Lord's care for them, they were offering half-hearted and insincere offerings. And in return, the Lord was responding to their insincere offerings, their half-hearted givings. God was responding to those offerings to the equivalent of, you're kind of giving me a headache. Can you just go away? And we're going to talk about why it was so serious to not give their very best on the altar. So I kind of want to start with the big idea. This is kind of the central point I want to kind of bring home today. The big idea is that knowing God as Father should compel us to honor our Heavenly Father. Knowing God as Father should compel us to honor our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. We're going to pray, and we're going to put some work into it. So Malachi 1, verses 6 through 14, it says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say, the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, 
says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let me pray for us. God, we, we ask, Lord, for understanding first, that as we read this passage, that you would help us capture what you're wanting us to capture, Lord. I pray for softened hearts. I pray for, God, that you would just deal gently with us here, that we would find yourself in this passage, and, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what you have for us. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to kind of back up to the first couple verses. Verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master, but if I am a father, where is my honor? I mean, this opening line, it should bother us. It should haunt us. God is saying, where is my honor? It's not, do I get honor? It's not, am I honorable? It's, where is it? Where did it go? It's been misplaced. And it's never been in question if God is honorable or worthy of our honor, but we have misplaced it on something or someone other than God. God is asking this very serious question, where is my honor? Moving on to verse 7, God answers the question. He says, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. I mean, this is serious stuff. We're going to talk about why this altar, uh, presenting defiled food, is so serious, but I want us to kind of picture this for a second. Imagine someone you love very dearly. I'm going to, I'm going to picture like my grandpa. He loves chocolate pie. And if I wanted to love my grandpa in a way that was kind of out of the norm for me, or if I wanted to just show him love in a special way, I would not buy my grandpa a chocolate cake. But I want to give him the very best chocolate or a chocolate pie. I want to give him the very best chocolate pie. So I'm not going to buy a store-bought one. I'm, I'm going to make it, okay? And it, even if I made it, I don't think it'd be very good, but I think it's the thought that counts, okay? But I'm not a very good baker. So, but I'm going to go through all the steps it takes, though. I'm going to do the research. I'm not going to buy a crust. I'm going to make a crust, Okay? I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to, I'm going to inconvenience myself for the love of my grandpa because I know he'll enjoy it. And as I'm making this pie, I'm going to just picture my grandpa's face as I'm going to surprise him with the chocolate pie that he's not expecting. I'm going to just give him my very best effort here. And I'm going to do it because I love my grandpa. And so all the while I'm thinking of like, man, he's going to be so, so surprised to see this and, and the, the look on his face, I can't wait to see him, to give him this offering of this chocolate pie that I know he's going to love. You're bursting with excitement as you're making it. You're just thinking, man, grandpa's going to love this. He's going to be overjoyed and excited. And you would think that, man, this is going to like just be an expression of, the very best I can give my grandpa here. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm going to do the hard work and inconvenience myself for this. But whenever we bring a defiled food on the altar, a lame or sick animal, 
and present it to God and say, here's my best. This is kind of what's happening in Malachi here is that we're not offering our very best and God is saying, where is my honor? It's been misplaced. You've squandered it. God is worthy of our very best and worthy of our excellence and worthy of our worship. And God is saying, where is my honor? Knowing God as Father should compel us to honor our Heavenly Father. Verses 8 and 9, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? I mean, the priest in Malachi's day, they had spotless, perfect animals ready for sacrifice. They were there, but they didn't offer them. They kept the perfect, spotless animals for themselves and offered God the half-hearted, the lame, the sick animals for sacrifice. And rather than, bringing them the ver- rather than bringing God the very best with gladness and joy, they were bringing defiled, unclean food on the altar. And even more so, they were allowing others to do the same. Like the priests were allowing this to happen, not only for themselves, but for the people they were entrusted to, to lead. And this is evil. The priests just thought that it was sufficient because it was good enough and it was something Okay, God is not desperate for our good enoughs or our somethings. He's worthy of our very best. He's worthy of our excellence and that we should bring him our all. He's holy. And God determines whether you and I even take our next breath. He's good and he's great and he's gracious and he's merciful and he's worthy of honor. And we're just bringing defiled food on the altar saying, well, it's something. Malachi goes on to say to the priest, would you bring this garbage to your governor? Like, you wouldn't dare bring a lame, sick, defiled animal to someone of status. You wouldn't do that. But you're doing it with God. the priests were only offering lame, sick, or blind animals, and they were allowing others to do the same. And we have to like think and imagine, how did we get to this point? I mean, can we connect the dots here? Like, this is us. We're the ones bringing lame or sick, half-hearted worship when we enter into these doors. We're the ones that are bringing, like, just questioning God's honor and just saying, well, it's something. Well, I'm here. That should count for something, right? All the while we're missing the mark and and God is just saying, where is my honor? Where is my honor? Verse 10, God says this. He says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. I mean, get this. 
God would rather you not worship at all than to offer half-hearted worship and give you any sort of false confidence. Even though you may be at the right physical location at the right physical time, God is ultimately concerned about the spiritual state of your heart. I mean, you could, this is the first youth group of the semester and you guys are already at 100% attendance. Way to go. (coughs) But if you were to have perfect attendance on youth group, every Sunday night we have it, If you were to have perfect attendance on Sunday mornings during worship and you did that every single Sunday, God is not concerned about your perfect attendance. He is concerned about the spiritual state of your heart. It is not about your attendance. It's about your heart. God is after our best and he's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our excellence and he's worthy of our worship. And God declares this in verse 11. He says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. He says it with such confidence, my name will be great. Whether it comes from your lips or not, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations. In other words, the reason why your careless worship has such a stench to it is because your worship is failing to recognize and stand in awe of the greatness of who God is. His name will be praised. His name will be great among the nations, whether it comes from you or not. Verses 12 through 14, I want to kind of summarize these three verses. The origin, like the starting point of our careless worship is a refusal to acknowledge the greatness of God. And that's where it starts. Like, how do we, how do we get here? How did we get to this point of offering half-hearted worship? How did we get to this point of just offering lame sacrifice? We've refused to acknowledge how great God is. He's worthy. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of our very best. He's worthy of our excellence. He is great. He's good. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's just. The origin of our careless worship is a refusal to acknowledge the greatness of God. I mean, God is vast in greatness. He's immeasurable when it comes to his grace. And he's so patient and kind towards us when we take his patience and his grace and we squander it with careless worship and even deliberate premeditated sin. We toss God a quarter and we say, you should even thank me that I'm here. Knowing God as Father should compel us to honor our Heavenly Father. If I want to kind of give us some handles of application, I would normally think of ways that the passage can help you individually. But this passage is going to confront us not only individually, but also as a group, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now again, what I'm about to say is straightforward. It doesn't necessarily make friends. The text is challenging, 
to myself where I feel inadequate or unqualified to deliver such a text. I mean, everything about it, the passage, the wording, the intensity, the magnitude of it, it's, it's heavy. So I too need grace before I say what I'm about to say and pray that God would do a work in my heart and in our hearts when it comes to squandering God's honor. But I think many of us come to Sunday morning worship or we come to Sunday night youth group with pompous attitudes like God should thank me that I'm even here after the week I had or how awful school was or how wretched my friendships are. I'm not even naive to think that maybe some of us even come hungover from the night before. And we offer our lame sacrifices thinking, God, you should even thank me that I'm here. It's somehow turned into a fashion statement that we come in late with our coffee and our story of how awful life is. We even set our alarms in the mornings knowing that we're going to be deliberately late to church or we don't set them at all or we just wait on mom and dad to wake us up. God's saying, where's my honor? Does God look at our worship on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights and does he ask the same question? Where's my honor? Where is it? We've made church somehow about image management and not about a God who's holy and worthy and awesome and honorable and glorious and majestic and present and near and forgiving and full of mercy and full of greatness and superior in every way. I mean, we've missed the mark. It's not about singing on key or loudly, but it's about our hearts. Are we bringing God our best or are we delivering God cold leftovers on a paper plate saying you should thank me for that? I mean, when we come to worship, when we come to worship on Sunday mornings, come early, come ready to worship, prime your heart for what's about to be said. When we come to worship on Sunday nights, prime your heart for what you're about to encounter. I mean, we open up God's word every Sunday and are we ready to receive it? Or are we just gonna come, put in the time, make ourselves feel a little better about life and then peace out? I mean, do whatever it takes to get here. And again, it's not about perfect attendance, but God is worthy of our best. He's worthy of our excellence. And if you have trouble waking up on Sunday mornings, set 12 alarms. I don't care. Cut out the decision-making. Set your clothes out the day before. Do whatever it takes to make sure that you get your raggedy rear end in here because you need the church and the church needs you. God is worthy of our worship and he's worthy of all that we have and to bring our very best to him and all we're doing is just sitting back and just folding our arms and saying, entertain me. I don't want to come to church anymore because it's just boring. All they do is just open up the Bible. I'd be doing you a disservice if all that we did and all we put our attention and affection towards was just games and fun and entertainment. I think all that's good and well, but I... I despise, if I'm honest, I do not enjoy planning games, <laughs> which is very counter youth pastory of me, but I do like a good sloth race. But if you came to the Christmas party, that's what that's about. But ultimately, God's worthy. 
He's so good. And then we can sometimes just lose heart and lose the reality that God is so great. There are brothers and sisters in churches every Sunday, whether that be Sunday mornings or Sunday nights, that need the hope that's found in Jesus. And there are people that walk into churches every Sunday where life is just hard. Life is messy. Health is declining. Marriage is hanging on by a thread. Mom and dad can't ever seem to get along. People carrying betrayal on their back like it's a backpack. And you lose a loved one. And we come traipsing in here with careless hearts, squandering the honor and glory that rightfully belongs to God. See, I started out with the pretend scenario about a husband who brings this half-hearted gift to his wife. And the gift was less than desirable and only a symptom of a bigger problem. Now, I can't nag you or guilt you out of half-hearted worship any more than a wife can nag her husband into giving her a more wholehearted gift. But we will become more wholehearted worshipers only as the Spirit works within us, convincing us slowly of the truth with which the Lord begins the book of Malachi, I have loved you. God is telling us, I have loved you. And we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that the truth that God has loved us and as a result, we place honor that is rightfully his on something or someone else. We've lost sight of what it looks like to give God our everything. We're spiritual schizophrenics when it comes to seeing and knowing the love, the greatness and glory of God. He's worthy. He's worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. He's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of honor and no one better exemplified a life honoring to God better than Jesus. It was Jesus who left it all on the table. It was Jesus who brought his everything. It was Jesus who honored his father in all he said and did. Jesus never misplaced or squandered the greatness of, or the honor of God. And we as humans are nothing but rags on our most honest day of living. You know it and I know it that we still struggle. Our hearts still wander. And I don't say that to shame you or to chastise you. I'm not even gonna tell you to try harder. But rather I'm telling you and telling myself tonight to look to Jesus Look to Jesus. He saw our sin. He saw that we've misplaced God's honor with half-hearted leftovers. And Jesus shouts from the right hand of God, I'll die for that sin. And for Jesus to take on the fullness of God's wrath, though he never gave God anything less than his absolute best, he gladly bore the wrath that we rightfully deserved. And God is telling us once again through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, I have loved you and I did it through Jesus. Are you failing to see and believe the love of God in your life? 
I mean, have you been flooded with discouragement and disappointment after disappointment? In this world, we're promised that we will have trouble. We will. But take heart. He's overcome. And it's in God's word we can see his track record of unfailing love to a people who are unfaithful time and time and time again. Do you ever just feel like the disciple that can't get their act together? I know I do. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you that when you, when you bring your everything, when you bring your heart, when you bring your worship, even though we've been unfaithful time and time again, you bring your heart, you bring your worship here, God will gladly receive it. He doesn't look at you and say, now you've just been, you're too far gone. I don't receive that. But you bring your, your all, you bring your heart and your worship, God will gladly receive it. So today, God has given us an incredible gift in the church where we can come together shoulder to shoulder and come to worship. And sometimes we may come to church and be unable or even unwilling to just sing the songs because I'm just going through the trenches right now. But the beauty of the church is like we can come shoulder to shoulder and we can sing over one another. That you may not be able to utter the words in worship, but we have a church of faithful brothers and sisters that will gladly sing over you. It's in preaching of the word that we find the gospel proclaimed to us, stirring up our cold hearts once again to a renewed faith. So again, how, how richly has God loved us in Jesus? And God deserves the very best that we can offer, our time, our worship, our hearts, and our very lives. And if you've never come to Christ and given your life for him, may today be the day that you hear God calling your name. I'm going to pray for us, and Keith is going to lead us just in a time of response. And so let's take a moment and pray. God, what a heavy passage it is to, to read, uh, to deliver, and to hear. God, I pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts, God, that you would challenge us, Lord, that as we just start a new year, Lord, that we would, we would give you our very best. God, that you would receive our offerings and that you would draw us near, Lord. I pray that as we just take a moment to respond, Lord, that we would repent of sin, God, that you would highlight those areas of our life where we need to repent, that we need to turn away from our sin, God, and turn towards you, God, and that you will gladly receive us. We thank you for Jesus and what he did on our behalf, that we don't have to live this perfect life, but we just look to Jesus who did live the perfect life and died the death that we deserved, Lord, so that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus. I pray that as we just continue in this time of worship, Lord, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.